episode, but you guys did phenomenal job. So obviously nothing to worry about here, but now I'm back and uh, we're missing. Um, oh gosh. Wow. This is embarrassing. We're missing <laughs> K-Or. Uh, yeah. <laughs> please, please. I know K-Or, Vandy and K-Or got into it a little bit at the end of last episode. So oh, that, okay. That, don't don't let our fans misconstrue. That's not that's not why Kor is out today. He's at a wedding, uh, hoping he's having a great time. But yes, we've all been we've all been taking our our days off for uh, we've been, we've been taking our our time off, our paid time off here because I'm sure everyone's busy with end of semester wrapping up. Feels like a lot of things are just coming to a head right now. But luckily, we got some guys here. We got Chris. We got Vandy. How you guys doing today? Chris, do you, do you want to go first? Or I, I mean, I feel like uh, given what everything that's happened today, you've, you've earned the right to go first. <laughs> yeah, so Chelsea's um, finally, I would say, achieved a monumental milestone in, in this rebuild project. Uh, I'm pretty sure everybody knows by now, but the Blues are going to the Champions League final. I'm ecstatic. Uh I feel like we dominated Madrid in both games. We should have won the first game 2-1, to be honest. Um, and we dominated him in the second. Benzema felt like he was a little bit unlucky in the first half. But, man, how good does it feel to be back? Uh, 2012, if you flip the 1-2 in 2021, you'll get the last time we were in the final. And now we're back and we're hunting for that trophy. I'm happy. All right. How about you, Chris? I mean, my team also made it to the Champions League final, so you know I'm doing. What uh, team is that? I thought Manchester I thought, City. I thought PSG. Oh, no, didn't. No, just no. <laughs> nope. I'm the city. I'm I the city one here. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, luckily, Polar Media Company uh, offers unlimited time off uh, to all of its employees, so I'm taking advantage of that a little bit. Great benefits um, plan. Still. <laughs> <laughs> uh, still um, juggling finals and um, some other uh, radio stuff, as Jacob probably heard uh, prior to us going on the air. But, you know, uh, getting by. Um, hey, that's, that's the spirit. That's that's <laughs> what we're looking for here. Just got, just got to get by for a couple weeks in the crunch time. Uh, Chris, how about you give us our, our little social media plug, and then we'll get the show on the road. That's right. So you can follow us on Twitter at PolarFCPod. Uh, where we post our latest episodes and um, highlights and anything else that come up. Um, expecting to put a lot of uh, cool content on there soon. So um, give us a follow there if you don't already. All right. Awesome. Well, we've got a packed show as always. We'll start, of course, with some Super League talk. We'll move over to some transfers, some changes. And, of course, we got to get into the semifinals games. Uh, but, yes, like I said, starting – with the Super League, obviously, uh, you know, we did a whole episode on it. Everybody's talking about it. It's, I don't know. Are you guys starting to get a little, a little sick of it? You gotta, you gotta let me know. But it's just, it's such a, such a big event for, for world soccer here. And I think, you know, obviously we're still dealing with a lot of the fallout from what had happened. And it's, it's very interesting to see. Uh, I'm excited to get into it with you guys today as, as we, you know, also maybe we'll try to brainstorm some solutions here. But the latest thing that I was reading um, was that four teams that are still involved, uh, which are uh, Real, 
Barca, Juve, and either Inter or AC Milan. Anyways, there's four teams that are still kind of involved with the Super League. FIFA is working really hard to get that down to two because I think in the Super League's like charter, if it drops below three teams, it like just gets deleted or somehow. Like it it all it all kind of goes away uh in some certain way. So FIFA's working really hard to try to get some of those teams to to really pull out of the Super League. And I know some of the teams that have already pulled out are thinking about the, you know, possible financial ramifications from entering this contract and then leaving it. So there's always chances that some of these teams that even, you know, after they made what what is uh, kind of basically undisputedly a pretty poor decision in the eyes of their fans, at least. After they made this decision, they changed their mind real quick, but they still might have to pay some penalties. And I think the the big thing and what, what I'm trying to get at here is so FIFA, through their negotiation tactics, are thinking about doing two-year bans from the Champions League. Um, so, I mean, it is kind of crazy that, you know, they're trying to leave the whole Champions League idea and you're like, all right, well, no, right, you're done. You don't get to join the Champions League anyways. But, I mean, can you imagine not having Barca, Real, Juve in, in the Champions League for a couple of years? Um, I don't know if it's going to get to that point. Um, I, I, I just, I don't know. I feel like this is, I'm frankly surprised that there are four teams still technically putting their names to it, even though they're not really going to be able to form a league uh, as soon as they wanted to. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's in everyone's interest for them to be involved in the competition. And I, I think it's more likely that the rest of the teams cave. Um, but I think one thing that's really interesting, I didn't really get a chance to talk about it. I think actually, I, I think I was out the week that, uh, we did the initial super league episode. Um, basically what I find interesting is what do all of the, in particular, the Italian clubs, what do they all have in common compared to the other big clubs in European football? Are you talking or trying to get at ownership structure here? I'm talking like I'm business wise. I'm not talking about in terms of on field results. I would just say their popularity. Exactly. The Serie A, I think, you know, it's it's above uh um uh, the French league, but it's not um much farther ahead. Like compared to like the Premier League and the Bundesliga, which I think are the two most popular uh leagues uh in Europe. Uh, and then La Liga is like slightly third or vice versa, I'm not sure. But those three really control the bulk of the international viewership. Serie A has been lagging, and I think that's a big part of the reason why you know the Premier League teams were able to walk away relatively unscathed because at the end of the day, they were still printing money in that league as is, albeit not to the same extent. But for clubs like Inter, clubs like AC Milan, clubs like, to a lesser extent, Juventus, which is kind of crazy because Ronaldo's on that team, um, you know, they were really counting on the Super League to sort of raise their clout a bit more. Um, and I don't think those teams, and you could throw in even, you know, Real Madrid really if it was the brainchild of Florentino Perez. Um, but, it, you know, those are the clubs that are going to uh, really be hanging on as long as they can to this. Um, and I, I find that aspect of it fascinating. I also try to see, I also think it's worth looking at, you know, do the other teams that were initially part of the Super League, do they at some point, 
you know, you know, they already backed out for now. Do they sit, maybe sit down and say, all right, we can restructure this into something that won't cause all of our fans to freak and leave. Uh, like, you know, maybe like a top division of European teams, but with promotion and relegation or something of the like. Um, I think something like that is um, more likely, although we probably won't see that uh, for a couple of years. I think for now it's all on hold, but um, I don't think that this uh, whole uh, saga is over as much as we all want it to be. Um, I think it's just going to take a new uh, new legs because, you know, restructuring like this is nothing new in football. I mean, it's how the Premier League got started and broke away from the football league in England back in, uh, I want to say it was 92, I think it was. Um, so, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see how this evolves and develops. No, I definitely would agree with that because you, you have these clubs that are steadfast to their idea. Like, I feel like Real Madrid, from their perspective, it's like they're not giving it up. Maybe maybe the other clubs back up, but no, they're not. Even, they're going to find a way to ratify this, but at the same time, it's like, what are you going to do, play against two teams? Like, is that even a league? What is that? So uh, it sucks because the football community, I mean, we've harped on it so much times now, but the football community doesn't want this, but we see that some of the management are not back what they're going to push for. That's, I guess that's why we keep beating down this path is because it's, it's an issue that's not going to go away. And, it, and we thought we thought uh, the social media outrage would change, th- change things if it made uh, 16s back. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely something that's not going away. Definitely something that has a meaningful impact. I know for me, at least, I've been seeing a lot of stuff about Manchester United. And people mad at the uh, the Glazers, I believe, which is the ownership structure, the team there. I think they own the uh, Dolphins or the Buccaneers, if if I'm not mistaken, in the NFL as well. Um, I know I've also seen stuff uh, with Arsenal um, where they were having a possible takeover, but the ownership structure is, is holding pretty strong. And, and I think what I really want to do is transition this into – kind of a discussion about where do we go from here? What, what's, uh, what's our solution? What's like, if, if we assume this to be something that we don't want to happen again, if, if we assume to say, you know, we don't want the clubs leaving and we don't want, you know, financial interests driving some of these decisions. Um, I'd love to talk to you guys and get your, get your thoughts. I know a lot of people have been talking about the, 50 plus one ownership structure, um, which is used, I believe, in the Bundesliga, um, basically says that, you know, commercial interests cannot own uh, more than half of the team. And I think that that's where they, I think that's, that, and the Bundesliga is now getting some attention because of that, because a lot of people are saying, well, okay, Dortmund, Bayern, they didn't, they weren't in messed up in, in all of this. And maybe it was because of the ownership structure and the way that the teams are set up. But uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, some of the solutions if ownership structure has to go into it. Well, I think 50 plus one would be, you know, the easiest solution because you effectively give the fans a, a, a veto on any kind of restructuring of football. So you, you're basically forced to take into account. It's why uh, Bayern Munich and um, the other clubs like Leipzig, Dortmund and whatnot, 
Uh, none of them were really involved past maybe, you know, the initial, oh, could we maybe do this um, because of that ownership structure? And I think that's what um, really kept the Bundesliga out of it. Um, and, you know, if that were ultimately adopted by, say, Premier League teams or La Liga teams, you know, um, if there was a European Super League, it would be something that the fans would want organically and that would, you know, sort of be they, – they would have a voice in the process. And that's really why the Super League – uh, backfired in the way that it did. Um, so I think that uh, something like that, even if it's not necessarily the same form as uh, the Bundesliga does it, um, would be the best way to go about change. Yeah, certainly certainly something along those lines in order to you know, keep the financial interests out. And it's it's tough because, you know, the fans don't don't see it in the same way, right? We see it as entertainment livelihood, you know, community building, um, friendship, things along those lines. But when you get to the point where you have, you know, foreign interests who, yeah, you know, maybe they like to watch a couple games, but just the the culture of the league isn't as ingrained. Um, and I think that's kind of the big thing. And that's why, you know, that's why this decision was made from the start. And I'm trying to think, you know, did the teams know that fans were going to react this much? So if they did and they still went through with it, you have to question, like, what were you thinking? But you also have to do to make the same questions if you say they had no clue, right? They were so out of touch with their fan base, with their teams, with their culture surrounding them and the sport that they didn't know that you know, people would take offense to this. I, I think we're going to look back on this as um, one of the greatest public relations disasters in the history of uh, sports in, in any sport, uh, just because it felt like they were either not listening to the fans at all, or if they were listening to any fans, they weren't listening to the right fans. Cause I, it was the one thing that could bring everyone in the football community together uh, was this is a horrible idea. Don't even think about doing this. Um, so I think that's kind of uh, the thing. I mean, I think they expected some sort of backlash. I don't think they're totally uh, out of touch, but I think they thought it was something that they could ultimately withstand kind of like how, you know, in baseball um, seven inning doubleheaders and runners on second and extra innings, that's stuff that every baseball fan or pretty much every baseball fan hates. Um, but you know, ultimately they sit down and they watch the games anyway. I think they expected it to be more like that. Uh, and the fact that it wasn't um, really caught them off guard and it sort of sent them into panic mode. Yeah, and I would say that I think they also may not have expected this reaction from UEFA and FIFA to say, okay, well, this is a big deal and we're not going to have this at all. Um, I think maybe they expected UEFA to just be like roll over and kind of take it. Because they were the biggest teams, they're the best, you know, the big names, uh, at least a, a majority of them. But I think FIFA's strong reaction to say that, you know, we are not gonna stand for this. We're you're not gonna be able to do a lot of the other things you want, and we're gonna go forward and like hurt your players because of it. Um, I I, I don't I don't think they expected that strong reaction from from UEFA. Vandy, your thoughts here? Yeah, I'm just hoping that there can be some sort of 
easy resolution to have, but knowing you wait for a while, I never expect that, you know. So <laughs> I, I guess it's just one of those things where we have to see how it develops and hope that the, the fans of the game come out on top. Yeah, that's all. That's always the hope. Um, I mean, obviously, transitioning ownership is is much easier said than done. I mean, the the Premier League doesn't have that fifty plus one. It'll be really difficult to transition to that if that was even something that that the teams want to do. But I'm curious to see that a lot of the Owners are kind of standing strong in the face of all this. I know the, I've seen a couple articles about the the Glazers, as I was mentioning from Manchester United, saying you know like, yeah, you know maybe this wasn't the best idea we pulled out, but like some of the ownership there just didn't really have the remorse that I think that the fans are looking for. Um, and I know uh, Manchester United is a big big fan base, obviously. They had uh, a, a a big event this week where their fans, you know, kind of broke, well, not kind of, really broke into their stadium and caused uh, the postponement of a game, and it was pretty wild to see that. Um, so maybe just Manu has, has seen a little bit more of the limelight just because of their fans' reaction. But, I mean, all in all, uh, a complicated situation, and I, I think it will be difficult to uh, move forward from there. I mean, you've got to like really screw things up to get to a point where your fans are literally storming your stadium and like getting onto the field. Um, You know, that's like, I didn't even think something like that could happen outside of, you know, winning your first title in however many years. Um, You know, that's normally something if that happens because your team did something good, not because uh, your owners have pissed everybody off. So, um, that aspect of it is just kind of mind-boggling to me. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Um, I didn't, I didn't watch Man U Liverpool. Chris, you want to fill us in on that one? Oh well, well, no one watched it because the game got. Postponed. Oh, oh, that was the game that got postponed. Yeah, yeah, that was a joke. It was kind of a. <laughs> well, post-game reaction is. Well, I guess we'll see it in in next week, right? They they didn't they didn't cancel it entirely. Yeah, I feel like Man U's uh, midfield was a no show. <laughs> uh, that that concludes my dad jokes for the evening. <laughs> Liverpool, they didn't have to deal with any of their their issues, so I'm sure they were they were happy to get a break. And you know that that does kind of get back to one of the main gripes I think about the the recent schedule, how how football's been recently. Uh, and I think we, we mentioned it a couple of times, mentioned it almost every show, just the amount of games that the players are playing. Um, and, you know, is this sustainable um, as the teams try to recoup income lost due to COVID? Yeah, well, I think this is a trend that goes beyond just uh, soccer necessarily. I mean, look at the NBA. The NBA, they have an, they're trying to cram a 72-game season with uh, less than a two-month off season if you made the finals or like made a deep run in the playoffs this year because of um, the schedule getting a lot of whack because of COVID um, all of that. And you're seeing it like really take a toll on players. You see load management and all time high uh, players taking games off injuries going up, all that stuff. So this is like really not something that's unique um, across uh, uh, sports. It's something that we sort of see everywhere now. Um, 
and you know, with with soccer, it's just a case of so many competitions uh, getting um, played at the same time. And even in a normal year, it's a lot. I mean, thirty eight games plus if you're in the Champions League or Europa League plus uh, FA Cup if you're or, or um, which call it? What do you call it in the Bundesliga? I'm forgetting the name. D DFB Cup, just the yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Or or, or um, if you have some random ass tournament like the Carabao Cup, like um, you know. There's so many different competitions. Um, I, I mean, these players are in some cases playing three games a week. And you and know, then on top, top of that, oh, oh, sorry, Chris. On top of that, all oh, your best players they go on international break. They're not getting a break. They're going and they're playing in, in games for their national team. But that's yeah. what I'm saying. It's like, why aren't teams playing their young players more? This is the perfect opportunity for development. You have these effing teams that. Keep, keep keeping these young players on the bench. Like, why? What are you doing? Like, uh, what's a club that I can – like, we started doing it more ever since Tuchel came, but it's like I feel like everybody – there should be like a, a basically – a maybe even a requirement. Like, all right, you got to play a player under a certain age this amount of times during the season. Like, you just stop playing – stop playing your veterans so much if you want to boost the longevity of their career and maintain them, especially through this – year when it's like so many games being played in so many weeks play your young players more show off your talent yeah yeah i do think that you know team management is really coming into key uh really coming into into the frame here and it is a key aspect like if you have rotations that you can make if you have young players that you can play um and i think that is also good for the fans i i do think that you know, obviously we're there. We love to see the stars, but sometimes, especially, you know, in the middle of the season when when the games may not matter quite as much, it's really fun to see, you know, players that you may not have seen before. Really fun to see youngsters come on or transfers come in and play. And I think it brings a, a new level of excitement. So I, I would be like supportive of some sort of notion or just the the coach is making the decision to play some of their youngsters, play some of the the new guys a little bit more. Yeah, but it, it also goes back to the whole, um, uh, what should I call it? Uh, the whole like incentive structure, like especially if you're at like one of these top clubs, um, be it in uh, the Premier League, the Bundesliga, or whatever. Um, every competition matters to a certain extent. Obviously, like. You know, in the case of Man City, they've wrapped up the Premier League, so all their focus is obviously on the Champions League. And, I mean, now they're in the final, it's kind of obvious. But even in the earlier rounds, you could tell they had shifted their priority because um, they had one competition wrapped up. Or, you know, in another year, if um, you're out of reach of winning the league, but you're making a run in the Champions League, you're not going to prioritize a domestic cup. Or, or if you're you know, making a run in the domestic cup and the league is out of reach, I, I'm rambling, but you get the idea. Um, but it, as a rule you can really afford if you're say Pep Guardiola or Thomas Tuchel or someone coaching a club of that caliber, you really don't have the luxury to say like, you know, we don't, we can't, we got to pick and choose our battles. Like you can't say, all right, we'll just throw a bunch of uh, under 21s in the Carabao cup and get fleeced by Wigan athletic. Um, You've got to sort of put an effort in. And um, it's actually, I would argue it's a bit harder, not so much for like the top, top clubs like Manchester city, Chelsea, uh, Bayern Munich because they've got the depth where they can rotate the squad a bit and still play at a high level. Uh, it's more for like the clubs that are good, but not great. I'm talking about like the Leicester cities of the world. Um, I'm trying to think of a, another equivalent um, like 
Marseille, like uh, Villarreal, like those kinds of clubs. The ones that are good but not great, and they don't quite have that depth. I think they're the ones that really suffer uh, more from that. Yeah, yeah, I totally see where you're coming from. And and some of that is due to uh, pressure on the coaching, pressure on the staff, and all these clubs, they're, they're big clubs. They want to keep their name. They want to keep their respect. They want to win no matter what the competition is. So it's tough. It's tough to really balance it out. Um, transferring away from that to some of our, our a little bit of of transfer talk here, uh, talking about coaches, we got a lot of coaches in the news, a lot of rotations going around. Um, we'll start over in uh, the Bundesliga in Germany. Uh, Bayern pick up Nagelsmann uh, to to fill in. Uh, which leaves Flick as the likely successor at the DFB and Leipzig pick up Marsh. So I'd love to get your thoughts if you guys have any on some of those transfers uh, in, in terms of coaches, at least. Well, first off, I think it's, you know, it really is a, a sign of how much um, Americans have sort of built their way up, not just in terms of young players uh, like Christian Pulisic and uh, Weston McKenney. And Serginio Dest, um, and, and so on. Um, but Jesse Marsh is a guy who, you know, in the span of about uh, five years, five, six years, went from being fired from the Montreal Impact to being hired um, at a time when everyone wanted Mike Petke to stay as the coach of the New York Red Bulls. Like there was like a, um, a, a fan revolt when that move was made. And he ended up being the best uh, manager in club history, um, winning a supporter shield. I maintain that if he didn't leave midseason in 2018, they probably win MLS Cup. But, you know, I'll save that argument for another day. Uh, but it really is a testament to his abilities as a manager and um, to the football organization. Say what you want about Red Bull owning a club in the Bundesliga. But in terms of setting up a seamless football operation, there's no question that Red Bull has done an outstanding job in that department. Um, so um, it seems like moving Marsh up to the Bundesliga was the logical next step. And I'm excited for him. Um and I'm sort of going to defer to you in terms of what this means for Bayern and uh, De Manshaft, um, because, you know, you know more about that than I do. But um, happy for Jesse Marsh. That's my takeaway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, from the Bayern perspective, I mean, I'm still excited. You know, Leipzig, I feel like they've had, I mean, they have un undoubtedly have had a great season this year in terms of points in the Bundesliga. They've performed at a high level. Um, and I really feel as though, you know, they have a good team, but they don't have a star studded team. Um, and I, and I, that's what makes me excited. That's what makes me, you know, I feel like I give the coach a little bit more credit if, if the team's doing really well, but they don't have quite, uh, the same like star studded roster. That's when I'm impressed at the coaching. That's when I think that, you know, there is a little bit more pressure on the coach to come up with. Uh, game plans to make adjustments in order to get those those key wins rather than kind of relying on stars to to go out there and win it themselves but i will say this i i i may, might have to adjust and and learn how to appreciate a back three because i think that's that's what they're looking at i mean we'll we'll see i mean they're gonna have it looks like they're gonna have davies at left wing back so, I mean, that's basically like he's fast enough to play left mid and left back at the same time. So maybe they will have like 
when 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 they're forced to shift, they'll be able to shift back into that that back four mindset. But I know that Bayern's defense has been questionable, and I think that was, you know, I think that might be the highlight of of or not the highlight, but the the weak point of Bayern's game this season was the amount of goals given up. So maybe maybe it needs a change, and maybe the back three will will kind of make that adjustment. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I, I sort of, I mean, Davies is unique in that he's very much a two-way player. But you would think that as one of the premier young creative uh, attackers, or I should say like wingbacks in uh, the Bundesliga, um, like, do you think a three-man back line would really be the best way to utilize him if Bayern wants him to go forward, um, putting him in that left wingback spot? I mean, wouldn't you want him if you're gonna have a three-man back line, you would think that you know your your left and right back aren't gonna move forward as much just because you would leave the back line exposed to the counter. Um so yeah, wouldn't it yeah. make I more sense I, to put him at midfield? I explained it wrong. It's really more like left left mid if you're doing uh, okay. like a, All right. a three All right, four two that. one. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. Okay. All right. Yeah, I was they gonna were kinda, say that. I was gonna say that'd yeah. be that'd be like Klinsman esque uh misuse of your talent if uh, that's where they were gonna put him, but um, I don't think that um, – all right, in that case, I'm a lot less worried because yeah, even, though he's, even though he's not American. Like yeah, probably Meccano, Sule, if he stays, and, and Hernandez would likely be in that back three there. But, Vandy, any thoughts? Are you are you caring about the the Bundesliga at all? Or you, are you have your, your mindset, your focus set on, on the uh, – what's happening over in England? Yeah, I'm not uh... – too much into the Bundesliga right now, but it's just funny that Mourinho can get a job so frequently on just off of his name because. Yep. Wow. You uh, you he... spoiled you spoiled my my next uh, <laughs> my next transfer. I was bringing up Mourinho. He's he's over in Roma, and there's there were some jokes online, but I'll let you get through your take here. No, it's just like how, why? <laughs> I mean, what are you hiring him for to to bring in more tickets, or sales, or what? I don't. I really didn't. I don't see the justification for it. I feel like at this point he's just being hired off namesake and not actually production. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to wonder. You know, you you had he had a good team. I feel like he had a very talented team at Tottenham this year. I feel like he had a little bit. Uh, definitely had a little bit of a disappointing season, and you have to wonder like how many chances do you get as a coach? And and even Mourinho, who's a historic name, people know him. He he will sell maybe a couple more tickets because of his entertainment value and his his status. But you have to wonder how how much longer, how many more chances he's going to get. And I think. The big criticism of Mourinho is just his play style, um, and and maybe just the the lack of evolution there when it comes to changing with the times. Yeah, I feel like it's been, with the exception of that one Champions League run, it's been a while before we've seen Mourinho uh, manage a team at like a consistently high level. Um, and and you know, I, I think he's sort of looking back uh, with regret at you know what could have been if he had won the Champions League there. He would have had the leeway to stick around a lot longer. Um, but, you know, um, sort of interested to see how this next uh, stage in his career is really going to pan out. 
yeah, yeah, should definitely be interesting at the very least. And, you know, maybe, maybe it'll bring a little bit more attention to a Roma club that may not be getting that much attention on the national level. Um, but, you know, as always, we're, we're here to, uh, to look from the outside and think, what are these clubs doing? What are the managers? What are the ownership doing? But, you know, who, who really knows what's going on behind closed doors? Um, and we'll just, we'll just have to see how it plays out. Um, and with that, I think we're going to transfer it over into some talk here about the Champions League semifinals matches. So let's get this pulled up. We had two matches this week, of course, finishing off the second legs of those games. We'll start over uh, with Manchester City and PSG. Man City uh, finishing out, closing it out 2-1 to one with two goals by Mares uh, in the 11th and 63rd minute. Uh, red card by Di Maria in the 69th minute. And, you know, Man City. Come out on top here, an aggregate score of four to one, which I think is something that they should be confident about moving into the future. But uh, Chris, let's let's get some of your thoughts there. Are you excited over here? Oh, excited is an understatement. This is um this is a moment I've been waiting for since I started watching City back in 2011. Um, you know, this is uh, really the culmination of what uh, the club has sort of been trying to build itself into. Um, I've said it ad nauseum on this podcast ever since we started it, that this is what Pep Guardiola was brought to Manchester to do. Um, and now he's one win away from uh, achieving that goal. Uh, so I think that's going to be um, something really interesting to see is, you know, can he finally get over that final hum? Uh, but, you know, to talk about this uh, second leg in particular, and I think it's sort of a microcosm for the whole series. Um, it never really felt like, Manchester City wasn't in control. Like you look at the stats of the possession and the shots taken in the second leg, it, it gives PSG a lot more credit than they deserve. Um, really, they didn't really start to control the pace of the play until uh, City were already up four-one uh, on the tie. Um, at that point, it was just you know a case of um, you know bunker and counter, and uh, that's when you saw PSG really control the run of possession because um, City were just you know getting their shots at will. Um, the few times I had to go back and defend in the opening hour of the game, uh, you know, they sort of snuffed out the danger without too many issues. Um, and, you know, they were just dominant. So if this is the City team that shows up to play on the 29th, uh, there's no doubt in my mind um, that City's going to win that game. If they, play, if they play that well. That's not my smack talk. I'm being honest. Because that was mm-hmm. some of the best football I've ever seen Manchester City play. Mm-hmm. I do want to ask here about PSG. So PSG a red card in each of the matches against Manchester City. Uh, News reports coming out this past week that uh, the referee swore at some of the PSG players. So obviously they were a little bit frustrated at that. But with the with the multiple red cards, would would you label PSG as, you know, kind of a, a dirty team or is it just, you know, maybe just, it just happened happened to have a couple red cards in some of these key matches. Yeah, I, I'm a bit hesitant to sort of go that far. I think it's just more a case of, you know, there were two bad challenges that were dealt with appropriately because, you know, like I've seen matches turn into demolition derbies. Like I think the 2010 
uh, I'm going back a bit now, but the 2010 FIFA World Cup final, uh, the Netherlands were just like brutally aggressive in that match. If you go back and watch like the condensed uh, tape, tape uh, that's what you'll see there. Um, I don't think that was the case here. I think that um, there's just a couple of bad challenges. Um, and, you know, um, I thought the officials did a good job of dealing with it the way that they did. But I wouldn't I wouldn't classify PSG as a dirty team. OK, OK. Yeah, it's it's always interesting to see, you know, when you get to that four one standing with 20 minutes left, can like the teams hold composure? And I think that in that type of time frame, it's really easy for the game to get out of hand. And that's why, you know, maybe you'll see the referee um, be a little bit more harsh just to make sure that things aren't getting out of hand for that last 20 minutes as, you know, the losing team is pressing really hard to try to to get some goals to their name or at least win back some some uh, confidence uh, in going forward in the in their uh, season or, or in terms of their reputation. Vandy, I'm going to turn it over to you. And, and spoiler alert, Chelsea, yeah, we, we already spoiled that one earlier in the episode. But, um, yeah, everyone already knows. But, uh, Vandy, is this is – this, uh, does this result excite you or would you have wanted to, to go against PSG in the final? Uh, I don't like city. Um, I think if you're a Chelsea fan, you would rather play city because you know them like you have a, like been literally playing your league and you're playing them as I mentioned this week. So you have more data, you have more, more film, you have more, more to scout. Versus a PSG, but um, if there was a team to win outside of us, it would be cool to see Mbappe get a trophy. You know, you know, as a as a young one of the young stars in the game, it would be cool to see him. And I do not want to see um, Man City lifting a trophy. I just I don't need to see that. Um, so <laughs> it, it it is what it is. I mean, we're up for a, a, t- a difficult task. It, um, I was mentioning in, in the last show that like City, they played below expectations in the first match, and in the second they showed us what they're capable of. So that's the scary City that were the odds on favorites to, to make it this far. So um, I would love to have played PSG. I think it would be more of a high scoring, uh, high scoring match matchup. But this one is going to be us very you know defensive minded for us. Um, and not, you know, not too conservative, but we know how, how dangerous City can be on the counter and just as a potent offense in general. All right. Yep. Totally see where you're coming from. We'll, uh, we'll flip it over here and we'll talk about the uh, Chelsea-Real game happened uh, earlier today, I believe. Yep. Um, Chelsea 2-0 win to win on an aggregate of 3-1. Uh, strong closing performance. Again, something that they might take into this next Champions League final. Uh, Werner scoring in the 28th minute and uh, Mason Mount putting the cherry on the top in the 85th minute. Vandy, your takeaways from that game? I'm just happy for two things. First thing is Werner finally knows how to put the ball in the net. Um, Kai, Her- Kai Havertz or Angola Conte should have scored as well. Uh, two phenomenal saves by a former Chelsea player in uh, Courtois. But wow, man, 
it just feel it's it has to be a feel good moment for him. He just kept missing chance after chance after chance inside the ET. So finally, he gets to to score in a crucial, <laughs> important stage. It's it's like it's, it's awesome. And then secondly, how about Christian Pulisic? Like, there's so much good I can say about him. Man, he's he's just it feels like he's improving with every match. He needs to be a regular starter for the next five years if he's still on our team. Like, man, he's he's amazing. And then just the composure. From the corner, um, from the counter attack, not to take the strike, slow down Courtois, pass it back to Mount, and let Mount finish it off to send us to basically send us to the next round because there was no way PSG was scoring two goals in five minutes. So, I mean, sorry, not PSG. I'm just thinking about who we should be playing in that Man City. But yeah, there's no way Madrid was scoring two goals in five minutes. What I would have loved to see was to beat Madrid and then Hazard score. Um, but it seemed like uh, when when Hazard Talked to Espinosa after the game. He seemed happy. He, he didn't seem sad or upset. I'm just like, okay, well, you're content with not not beating your old team. Fine, whatever. We'll just have to go to the final without you. But yeah, man, I'm I'm souped. I'm stoked, man. It, it, it's been a long time coming to get back here, um, and prove that we're not a small side club like some other teams in London. But man, it's just it'll be good if we can lift that trophy at the at the end of June. Yeah, yeah, of course, motivational performance here. Chris, I'm going to turn it back over to you and uh, ask you a similar question. You know, is this is this the the outcome that you wanted to see? Did you have any preference in terms of uh, Real or Chelsea when it comes to the final? Not really. I do think that there's a bit of an, a benefit in the sense that, you know, we have a better feel for what kind of a club Chelsea is. I mean, they're playing this weekend, uh, too. So let's keep that in mind. Um, just because they're in our league, they're in our country. We we play them on a semi-regular basis. Uh, I'm not saying that, you know, it advantages City over Chelsea, but I mean, I, it definitely doesn't hurt uh, as opposed to a Real Madrid team that City haven't played at all this year. Um, so I do think that would help a bit. Um, I also think that, you know, largely if City, whether City wins or loses this game is going to be based on their own merit. They have the talent to beat any other team in the world. Um, and, you know, it's really just a question of will they show up to play and will they execute well? I, I think whoever controls the midfield is probably going to win this game. Uh, and, you know, just um, the case of, you know, hitting the ground running because it's a single leg uh, in the final. So I think that in that respect, the, uh, City sort of have their destiny in their hands. I think um, if they show up, I think they've got a very good shot uh, of winning uh, the Champions League. So, would you say if City loses this, is this fire worthy? Is it what? I'm sorry. Is it? Is it? Is it? How worthy of a fire would it be? Oh, I mean, I would be very. I don't. I. I'm sure someone would make that argument unless they get like completely boat race like 10 nil that's um, not gonna happen but i'm just saying know, like, but i'm saying like just because because think of it this way this is the farthest that they've come in champions league in any given time uh and and city have been dominant in the premier league um under pep guardiola uh so i i don't think i i mean i'm sure there are some people that will go out and say well we hired you to win the champions league and you didn't do it uh, but i don't think that's going to be a very uh strong argument i mean because at the end of the day you'd basically be weighing the five years of results under Pep Guardiola versus losing one game to Chelsea. And I just don't think it's a strong argument. Yeah, definitely. I see that. It's just that 
for the, it's like if you're a city fan, like we've done everything but win the Champions League, and if we can't do it against a team that, according to the sports book, is far inferior to us, that plus three hundred number is insane. Can't believe that. But you know, being such heavy favorites, it's like wow, how couldn't you get the job done? If you don't get it done now, when will you ever get it done? And I guess that's the argument that I'm trying to make. Like, of course, Guardiola is a fantastic coach, one of the one of the best that's in the game right now, and he probably should not be uh removed from his position should they lose it's just like man what kind of opportunity did you miss out on if you don't win it this time yeah always always pressure on the coaches always pressure to perform at the highest level and you know i would say as as a fan of course my my bias has been removed but you know i think when we were looking back at the when the quarter final draw when we got the results of the quarterfinal draw i think that this was a, a one of the more likely outcomes and that's why i'd say like as a as a fan of the game in general i think that you know i think that the best teams did win i think that you know i, I would be uh i wouldn't be telling the truth if i didn't tell you that i thought manchester city deserved to play in, in the Champions League final. They've been having an absolutely incredible season. Um, Chelsea having a great season as well. Maybe a little bit more luck in terms of their quarterfinal uh, side, but I, I think that they were definitely the favorite to come out uh, of that side. So I'm, I'm not really disappointed, I would say, in, in the sense that I think that these are two top, top quality teams that, definitely deserve the opportunity to play for the final. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of a lot of good fun to be had in those games. And I, I'm looking forward to a, a good competition. Um, I'm maybe a little bit impartial to Chelsea just because I, I do like Timo Werner. I, I am I am a fan of him. I always wanted to do well. And he's he has been letting me down a little bit lately on the the national level, so maybe this will give him a little bit of uh, wind in his sails for the uh, Euros and upcoming uh, international play. Um, but I'm I'm just looking forward to some good games, and I, I'm I'm pretty excited with the way that it all boiled out. All right, with that, Chris, do we have a do we have a video of the week this week? Uh, we do. Uh, if you just give me a moment to, uh, share it with you guys, I'll, uh, get that up right now. Damn. I didn't know you wanted to receive the Chelsea goal. Oh no, no, I'm <laughs> not playing that. No, no, no. We're going to the greatest, uh, football and competition the world has ever known. That's right. We are going to hang on early regular season, major league soccer. I'm talking Atlanta United versus the Chicago fire. I am talking about this free kick rebound goal from Ezekiel Barco. So I'm going to take a look at this. First rebound. I mean, how good of a strike was that? Oh, Rocky. I mean, that was just. That stadium is so beautiful. Wow. But yeah, what it a, is. What a I hate that team, but it is a nice stadium. <laughs> I mean, Ooh. 
taking as bad of a free kick as I've ever seen and just turning it into a work <laughs> of absolute genius. Well, Jeez. the crazy thing is that he's like facing the other way. He shoots oh, this no. while like doing yeah. the spin. And no that, that's pretty impressive. Off balance. Yeah. I don't want to hear anyone say that soccer players aren't real athletes ever again. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, so. that's 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 a fake fake news. So yeah. Vandy, what are your thoughts? You think you can hit that? Yeah, I could I could definitely crack that. I, I played some I played some 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 bit in my day. I, I think I could do that. Not with people on the on the pitch, just by myself. <laughs> Me. Well, I mean you're talking to the goat of seventh grade recreational league soccer. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I could never, I mean, that was just, I also don't want to hear anyone trash MLS again either. No, no, I'm not talking to you guys. I'm just speaking in general. Um, yeah, they that, play some damn, damn good football in MLS. It's just that it has a bad rep, but there's some good ass games to be watched out there. Yeah. Just got to keep the glazers out of it and we'll be good. So, yeah, that's about all I got. I'm skipping around here. I'm trying to see that that foul at the end where Di Maria got the red. Let's okay. see if I can do a, a live take here. Um, oh, it was like it wasn't even in play. They were kind of like horsing around for the ball on the sideline. Should I uh, should I share my screen? Do we want to do a, a double um, video of the week? Might as well. Yeah, we got a few minutes. All right, let's do it. Okay, let's see how I can do this here. Okay. Okay. How do I get it back up? Okay. I'm sorry. I'm inexperienced here. Chris is usually the one who has to take care of this stuff. Okay. Here we go. That's what I need. Okay. And now how do I select? This one. Okay. So can you see got can you see it? Now How's we can. Yeah, yeah, I got it. Okay. So Oh, let me go back. Okay. So here we go. Following play. Oh, sorry. I've got to like remember to retweet these uh, on the account. So here you can see. Oh, okay. So like they're kind of just horsing around for the ball. Yeah, but it was like a it was like a shove. I think he I think he steps on them or something. Let's see if they show the close up here. Oh, he just like reaches out and steps on them. That's a frustration foul, but yeah, that has to be red. Yeah, no, there's no question. I mean, it wasn't the hardest contact at all, but and in Florida's word, I think he's selling it a little bit too much there, but yeah, that is. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. Let me see. Uh, can I stop sharing? Maybe. Okay, there we go. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, you got to be like, okay. You know, it's it's annoying to have the other player standing right in front of you when you're going to get that ball, but 
that's definitely a frustration thing. And, and like I was saying before, it's logical for the referee to be a little bit stricter in that situation where they don't want the game to get out of hand too quickly. Yeah. Well, I mean, at that point, the game was sort of out of reach and you got to keep it from potentially spiraling out of control. I mean, just yeah. ask the New York Rangers how that's uh, how that kind of thing can go. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I, I just saw something about that, that it's, it's, it's a slippery, slippery slope. For sure. I mean, six fights in the first eight minutes of the first period, Jacob, like that's just, I mean, that's, I mean, we got, you got to make a, you got to, you're switching the bench and the penalty box because there's just too many people in the, in the box at one time. Yeah, no, it's like, I mean, we've had some hostile episodes of, uh, can we just talk, but I don't think it's ever gotten that bad. <laughs> no, not, so. not, not that bad at all, but yeah, I can, I can see where the, the ref's coming from. I can also kind of see where the PSG players were coming from after the game. Obviously I wouldn't go as so far to say like, oh, the ref cost them the match, but it does kind of stink because I'm sure that they are also held to the expectation that they're not allowed to curse at the referee. They're not allowed to say specific things to the ref. Um, and, you know, he makes you think like, oh, maybe there's some bias if the the ref is then cursing at you. But I think I think uh, it's, it's just not quite too much to, to give it to him fully. Yeah, I was just going to add, you know, this is kind of a unique perspective, but like, um, you know, arguing with the refs, I feel like has come such a big thing in, in all sports, really. Um, oh, yeah. I'll give you a little bit of a different perspective. I played, uh, albeit not at a very high level, I did play rugby for one semester in college. And uh, one of the first things uh, that like they teach you is like, and this is like a rugby specific thing, but I kind of wish it was the thing in all sports is like, unless you're the team captain, like you are not allowed to talk to the referee at all. Like, um, like it was a little different in the beginners leagues. It was like, all right, if you could ask him like what rule you broke or why, like that's different. But like, if you even like thought about like saying, Hey ref, uh, he didn't touch me or anything like that. Um, they, they just kicked your ass out of the game. Um, so it's kind of like a completely different culture. And it was something that I didn't really think about until I got exposed to that. But, um, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, I think that really <laughs> makes sense to a certain extent, like, okay, maybe not like every communication, but when it comes to like talking well, pretty about much calls, like if you ask him a question, like I don't think they'll throw you out. But like if you start like yeah. going back and forth, like, hey, ref, that wasn't a foul. You're gone. Yeah, it makes sense just to have one designated person. And and you think that the captain may may keep their composure a little bit more throughout the game. But uh, Vandy, sorry to cut you off there. No, it's just an interesting thing to think about. Like, damn, nobody besides captain can talk to the ref. Like, how would that change the game? That would be a. But I can't even like an insurmountable change because it's like for every foul, uh, for every dead ball, it's like someone thinks that they're not guilty. So I don't even know how that would change the game. Yeah, I will say I think every sport does it a little bit differently. Uh, I think basketball is pretty similar to soccer in this sense where they'll just like yell at the ref as they're going in the game or, or kind of go over and talk to the ref during any of the stoppages. Um. Baseball is an interesting one where the managers, I always think that's funny when the managers come out on the pitch to argue with the referee. And it's like, well, I mean, basically you're just asking to get thrown out. They're just like, uh, I want to make a symbol of myself of how bad this call was. Please throw me out of this game because what, what are they going to do? They're going to go out there. They're going to yell at the ref. They're going to stop the whole game. And then what? The ref's not going to change their mind and they're just going to throw them out. Um, so that's that's always interesting. Football, 
I feel like you don't see it quite as much. I also know there are a ton of referees in football when it comes to like, yeah, uh, like complaining about calls and things. I feel like you don't see it a ton, but maybe I'm a little biased. I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts? I mean, I mean, you would know better than me just because you actually played uh, up to the college level. But like, yeah, at least when I watch a college or an NFL game, unless it's like a an egregiously bad call, I, I feel like you don't really see much of that. Um, so I think that's an interesting observation. But I feel like uh, that's pretty much the exception. Um, I don't know. Vandy, do you think you got anything else to add to that? No, yeah, I think, yeah, that would probably be the one exception outside of that. I feel like basketball and soccer are the two highest in terms of complaining, but maybe I'm biased. Yeah, maybe maybe the highest in terms of, of diving as well. So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I know in basketball they've, they've came, like, pretty harshly down on it because I don't think they want that to be, like, the reputation of the league where, like, the referees can, like, review it after the game and hand out technicals after the game. And I guess it doesn't, like, impact the team quite as much. But, you know, there are a handful of players that, towards the end of the season, get to the limit um, in terms of technical fouls. And I don't know. I mean, I mean, this is a whole other topic we could go off on a tangent about, but, like, technical fouls, are they really equal to yellow cards? I don't know. Yes, yeah, I would think I would think of two, but I, would, I feel like the technicals are a little softer. But I would think a flagrant one would be like a yellow card, and a flagrant two would be like a red card. I think that would be my way of thinking of it. Um, I would. I also think that you know, if they were going to make one rule change, I know we're getting super off topic here, but uh, if they were going to make one rule change in, in in the NBA, especially, I would say get rid of the intentional foul at the end of games. Like just have it be like you know, just go up and down the court. Like if you try the intentional yeah. foul stuff, it's technical automatically. Like yeah. it, not so much. I mean, it does happen in college sometimes, but it's a much bigger problem in terms of basketball. It's like, unless it's like, you know, a tie game. Um, it just, that lasts like 40 seconds or so of a game just become an absolute slug fest with free throws and fouls and free throws and fouls. And it's like, this is unwatchable, man. So yeah, you know, it does of, kind of take some of the excitement out sometimes. I can, I can totally see that, but yeah. And the tough, rhythm too. Tough tough uh re- reform would have to be done because I mean, you can't like not call fouls and like with technicals well they're shooting already but i guess with a technical if you gave it a tech then the other team would get the ball like the same team that got fouled would get the ball and maybe that would be the incentive there but yeah i see where you're coming from um any any closing thoughts before we adjourn here guys I do. A, I have one closing thought. I want to say, Vandy, your your mustache is looking on point today. Thank you. I try. I try. Wait, I didn't get your uh, who you're siding with in the Champions League. You're gonna side with the right team, correct? Oh gosh. Uh, I think I'm rooting for Chelsea. Just Timo Timo Werner got the couple Americans in there too. <laughs> I'm sorry, Chris, uh... but I, I am looking forward to the games. And of course, we will uh, we'll get you our reactions following those. But we we've got some time to build up, so I'm sure we can we can hash some of this out some more. Maybe maybe Chris will win me over, and I'll have to change my mind. Oh, oh Friday is going to be a very uh, aggressive full court press for me, Jacob. I hope you know that. <laughs> full court All press. Right. Where's this at? Uh, I'm I'm going to convert him. He's going to be a uh, pro city by the time the final rolls around <laughs> on the 29th. <laughs> 
Well, so. I'll be I'll be interested to see what you got in store for me, Chris. We will be, of course, interested to uh, have you all back uh, on our next episode next Wednesday. Um, but I think that's about it. This has been Polar FC from myself, Jacob, Chris, and Vandy. Have a nice night.